When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to the Wisden Cricket Weekly podcast. We've got a slightly odd show for you this week. We had originally planned to lead with a bumper county championship preview, followed by a short section on the goings-on in the rest of the world of cricket. You'll still get all that, but with the CDC verdicts into allegations of racism at Yorkshire during Azim Rafiq's time at the club released last Friday, we're recording a special extra segment with former England batter Mark Butcher and former Wisden staffer and CMJ Young Journalist of the Year, Taha Hashim. Taha, congratulations. It's good to have you back. Cheers. Thanks very much. So I'll start by summing up the CDC's findings. Uh, There were cases brought against seven individuals and Yorkshire County Cricket Club. Of those, Gary Ballance and Yorkshire admitted to the charges against them, while uh, Matthew Hoggard, Richard Pyra, Tim Bresnan, John Blaine, Andrew Gale all pulled out of the process at some point before the hearings with Michael Vaughan opting to defend himself. Uh, The first five were still sort of um, the, the cases were evaluated in any case and they were all found guilty on the balance of probabilities of some or all of the charges brought against them while the case against Michael Vaughan was considered not proven. Um, Taha, I guess let's go to you first. What was your initial reaction to the verdicts? Um, I found it interesting in that it's um, uh, looking at what what kind of came afterwards. It's, it's a story that's kind of emb- emblematic of... Um, where we're at as a society right now, not just as a game, uh, because you can take from it whatever you'd like. Uh, you could go down one route where um, and focus on the fact that Michael Vaughan has been cleared. Uh, and, you know, some have almost used that as ammunition uh, to say that all is well in the game and that, um, you know, Azim Rafiq was kind of out to dis- destroy Michael Vaughan. Um, one, one prominent voice might have said uh, on Twitter um, and that, suddenly that Rafiq has no right to be a racism whistleblower. Or you could look at the fact that charges against the other defendants were found to be proven, uh, that there has been racism in Yorkshire, uh, and that actually this, this is probably potentially a more powerful moment than what happened in 
November 2021 when Rafiq spoke to two MPs um, and, went, and you know went unchallenged. Um, here, there's been a, a process. His claims have been challenged, and um, he has been vindicated. Uh, overall, it's been a kind of surreal thing to to, to watch play out. Really, uh, I interviewed uh, Rafiq uh, nearly three years ago now, um, and um, he he talked. He mentioned when we were speaking about that story about being out there on the field, and you know the, the, those those now famous words, I guess, um, of you know, uh, there's there's too many of you lot, that 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 whole story. And in a way, I don't like that this is, the story has become framed about this one incident, about this kind of one story and framed as if it's almost a shootout between Azim Rafiq and, and Michael Vaughan. Uh, when Rafiq was telling me that story, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure he wasn't pointing to that one incident as the problem. Uh, that was just an example, um, and so to to watch it play out as it has has been a is 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 unusual really. And this has always been about something bigger really. Um, it's about the wider structures to the sport uh, that mean that Asian players are underrepresented in professional cricket. That Afro-Caribbean players have been ignored by the game in this country. Uh, and um, if you want to just focus on on Rafiq versus Vaughan, as as some may have done you're going down the wrong route because we will see um, the game for what it has been in this country, for what, is, for what it is right now through the ICEC report that will drop later this week. Uh, we'll learn more about what's happened in Essex going forward as well. So it's important to keep a, a kind of a bigger picture here and not get bogged down into that kind of one-on-one -on -one type of story, essentially. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with all of that. Um, and it's, I suppose it's an odd situation right now because this, is, this isn't really an ending, even though it feels like it from some points of view and for some people. Um, but Butch, a lot of the focus has been on Michael Vaughan. Uh, I guess partly this is because he was the only one to actually defend himself at these hearings. So the cross-examination was, a lot of it was his lawyer versus sort of, the ECB essentially uh, but he also put out a statement before the verdicts were released publicly uh, and then he did an interview with the Telegraph with the headline I want people to realize what it's like to be cancelled um, look you, you obviously know Vaughan from your England days and afterwards as well I guess what what happens to him from here do you think um what happens to him well I, I'm guessing that he, he goes back to you know he, he writes for the Telegraph so no surprises that he, uh, he, he had a piece come out there um, I'm guessing that the BBC will re-engage him um, on TMS and that his life will go back to, to something like normal. I mean, the, 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 the cloud of this whole thing, the shadow of it will, will follow him wherever he goes for the rest of his day. But I don't see any reason now after that, after the verdict or after the non-verdict, I suppose, um, that he shouldn't be able to uh, to continue as he as he was before i mean obviously that would be up to his his employers um you know i the, the, i guess the the issue has always been for me and um, before we even got into the point where it where it became a sort of a mano versus a uh, mano a mano type uh, adversarial um case was that that any time that this conversation goes down the road of 
he said, she said, can you prove what somebody said 20 years ago? Can you disprove what <laughs> what what what, uh, what somebody says that you have said all that time ago? You you lose the main focus of the of the of the issue, and the issue is 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 can we can we make people understand? Can we make people view um, you know the the way that they treat one another, the the words they use to describe one another, or things that they might call um, banter or, or that horrendous word banter. Um, you know how how things like that can have an adverse effect on people, and then how, um, in terms of institutions themselves, um, whether or not there are conscious or unconscious biases in terms of the opportunities that people are given, depending on their backgrounds, and that's that is the only important thing out of this entire um, saga. Um, not whether Michael Vaughan said what he said, not whether Azim Rafiq um, was uh, was was right to be a whistleblower on this huge subject because clearly he was the issue comes about where the focus then then went once the um you know once the the, the sort of the trial if you like of of individuals came to the fore um uh, over and above what the what the what the main story of or the main problem um is all about in terms of racism in terms of inclusion exclusion and all the rest of it and, and unfortunately, as we get to the end of the of the case, it's it's good news for Vaughan. It's actually probably reasonably good news for Azim Rafiq as well, because he's been vindicated too. Um, the uh, the the people, as as Tahar rightly said, the people the people who want to believe that there is no case to answer anywhere in, in the country, let alone in English cricket, will will think that they are right. Um, and those people who feel that their voices aren't heard or aren't given the opportunities will feel that nothing has moved for them either um and and therein lies the great shame of it all mm. it's it's interesting what you say about the kind of the the he said he, he said she said and that that aspect of the process because that has come under scrutiny as well i think during it not just the the people involved but the, the process as a whole i guess i wanted to put actually a couple of quotes to you uh, that so vaughan said in his statement um uh upon him finding out that he'd been uh, the case against him not proven. He said, CDC proceedings were in an inappropriate, inadequate and backwards step. Uh, one of the main reasons why I hold that view is because CDC proceedings are adversarial. They invite claim and counterclaim. They invite those involved to accuse each other of untruths or of lying. The inevitable consequence of the ECB decision-making was that three former teammates, one of whom is a current England international player, were put against one another for what later became a public forum for the world at large to see. Despite being criticised by the ECB for not accusing others of lying, I remain of the view that no good can come of that approach. There are no winners in this process and there are better ways, there have to be better ways for cricket to move forward positively and effectively. Uh, and then Mark Grant Prakash, uh, writing in The Guardian, said, after charge of, um, so he said, Michael Vaughan said in a generally well-judged statement that there are no winners in this process. To say that, you can only be white and never have experienced the kind of discrimination that made the process necessary. So let's be clear, the CDC vindicated Azim Rafiq having experienced racism at Yorkshire, having found the proper channels blocked when he tried to act, having his life turned upside down, after being forced to go public, he will have wanted and deserves for that to be recognised. The panel's verdict absolutely did establish winners and losers, which is what makes this moment so powerful. As I said, there's been lots of criticism, you know, of, of everyone involved in this the whole way through, including the ECB and the, the I guess the, the CDC as a process at times as well. Do, like... What I guess the question is, I suppose that you'd, you'd ask of someone like Vaughan, is if this isn't the right process, what what is the right process when there are these historical claims? Because as much as there are 
you know, structures at play and there is, you know, a culture of, of racism at Yorkshire and whatever that might be, you still, there is still individual accountability in there and that still needs to be, I suppose, examined in some sort of forum, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess it does. I mean, you know, it's interesting to me that Azim um, now wants to to meet again with Michael Vaughan. They met, they met before, didn't they? Um, before um, the, the case hit the hit the headlines um and and to what extent that is going to make a, an enormous amount of difference i mean the, the the meetings and this kind of the comings together probably should have happened before before we reached this point in order for them to have had in order for them to have not be, become the sideshow and the circus that we've seen over the last the last year or so um and and in doing so, and in doing so, you would hope. And and if the meeting does take place, which which I hope it does, I mean, I, I can understand reasons why why Vaughan would think that that's not a great idea <laughs> after everything that's everything that's gone along. Um, then then you can show a path forward because the the, the issue for me with all of this is not is not what the what the institutions do in terms of in te- terms of making amends for what's gone before because you can't make amends for it. There's nothing you can do. But what you can do is ensure that that moving forward, we don't end up in this situation again because that there are there are structures in place that allow people first and foremost to hold their hands up to 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 poor behaviour from the past, um, and also make sure that that understand that there is absolutely zero place for any of that going forward. Um, and so if the two of them get together and can, can kind of publicly and, and with, with great fanfare, with a similar sort of fanfare as we've seen in the, in the, in the court case, can get together and, and, and map out a sort of, you know, this is the, this is the road forward for, for the sort of behaviour that, that you would like to see, um, for the sort of inclusion that we'd like, to, we'd like to have throughout the game. And we have a prominent former England captain on the one hand who's been who's been you know in the in the eye of the storm over all of this um backing up the uh the, the pleas from somebody like azim rafiq then you have a road forward then you have a way to, to go i think any any time where you're trying to trying to get retribution in in a way for for things that have got things in the past that cannot be one that can't be proven because of the, the their very nature you end up in a situation where you get mudslinging and um, and and the and the issue itself um, of, of of being more inclusive to to people of, of color and um, and making the game wide open to that um, becomes a, becomes secondary to you know who's going to win this battle of, of of sort of you know claim and counterclaim and and the whole thing is you know ramps writes brilliantly Vaughan actually it, at the end of it all having having been um, somebody that it would be very easy to throw to to throw um, to throw all kinds of um, accusations at um, and Azim Rafiq himself have actually all come out of it pretty well by the in the end um, the process by which we got to that point um, has left a, left a lot of a lot of a lot of bitterness I think um, and from bitterness, it's very, very difficult then to sort of like to make to make the strides forward that you'd want, albeit that there are all kinds of things going on in the background. Um, you know, the ECB, um, you know, with, with um, 
with with their programs are, are trying as hard as they possibly can to try and leave themselves in a position and leave the game in a position whereby the accusations like this will not come again. Um, but but all of those things are going to take a little while to come to fruition. Mm. Um, Tar, I wanted to ask you, sort of, what 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 do you think happens next? Obviously, there is lots more to happen within the game. You mentioned the ICC, which we'll discuss a little bit more towards the end, I suppose. But um, just in terms of some of these individuals, I guess, and it's worth saying that there was, I think, there's been some suggestion that had uh, the five who were found guilty on some accounts come forward to defend themselves, that things might have been different. I mean, that might well have been true, but I think it's worth looking through the the CDC judgment as a whole because everything it's it's there's no i don't think claim that can be this is any sort of wash i think like uh the the verdicts are all there's they're well founded there's lots of arguments to and against all of them they have considered lots of different bits of evidence in there uh so i want to ask you what 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 kind of happens to some of these people we've, we've still got various sanctions to be handed out but beyond that i mean take one example john blaine has been found to use the the p word on multiple occasions and is still currently the head of cricket at Grange Cricket Club. And we, we talk a lot about wanting, you know, rehabilitation and, and reconciliation. There is an amp- impact on, on these people as well. But I guess, how do we move forward in, in with, with, with some of these individuals, but also like, well, I guess, because it's easy, it's easy to talk about the big picture, but there are individual sort of stories at play as well here, I guess. Yeah, it's a thing that I don't think is talked about enough. There's There's so much of a focus on, on winners and and losers that come out of this when you know we we not as again i'm going back to the this is not just a uh, issue that we're dealing with in the game itself but as a kind of a society is kind of how do we deal with uh these people who have been you know found by the cdc to to have said said racist things how do we you know going forward as well how will we deal with people who within this game have been accused of racism because things will you know, we've got the the thing in Essex that's happening, you know, more of these situations are going to arise. Um, <clears throat> I was quite, I mean, I found it really upsetting to read um, John Blaine's interview where, with the Telegraph, where he's, you know, he says that he's thinking about how his son's going to carry his coffin and kind of the effect this whole thing has had on his family. Um, and it was upsetting to read about the effects on, on Vaughan's family. And of course, it's, you know, throughout this, it's been horrible to read about what Rafiq and his family have gone through. You know, it's it's all sides of the story, really, that everyone has suffered. I mean, you know, Butch mentioned it as well. Um, and you'd like to think that governing bodies like the ECB will still try and reach out and, and provide care for these people. Um, I don't agree with this notion that they should be uh, cast out and banished from the game. And, and so that this whole story, this whole situation... Um, it leads to kind of a lot of, I don't know, ethical sort of moral questions about how we, what is the kind of grown up process of handling this? Is there, is there a way to, is there a way to find a way to rehabilitate these people while offering people who've suffered racist abuse, the the kind of justice they deserve, they need. Uh, And we're still trying to figure that out. You could see that Yorkshire kind of didn't find a way to figure that out when they, um, you know, when, when they were initially dealing with the process because it went from it went from extremes, right? It went from kind of almost ignoring Rafiq at first to then, um, you know, the, the, the sacking of the staff. Like it's, it's up in debate whether people think that's the right thing or the wrong thing. But, 
the, the whole situation, the, the way it was handled kind of spoke to that kind of, the, the kind of difficulties of answering this question of, of how do we kind of punish these people, but then also rehabilitate them? And how do we also at the same time find a way for the game to move forward in a healthy way? I don't think anyone has still found that answer. I don't think people have, I think people, I think the game is still struggling with it. Um, and it's very, it's a very complicated question, right? I mean, I, I still, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah, I guess especially in cases where, like with some of these, where they've been, what the case has been found proven, but they would still, uh, you know, John, John Blaine would still say that the allegations against him are, are, are false, basically, yeah. uh, which is very tough. Um, look, that's that's not the last we'll say about this issue, uh, of course. Uh, in particular, as Tars mentioned, the Independent Commission for Equity in Cricket has a report due at some point. You said this week, is that likely? Tar, Tar I think it might be this week. He's got his ear to the ground. Uh, and, that, and, that, and that will contain a, a, a thorough examination of all the issues surrounding racism in English cricket. That won't be sort of a, you know, one one reverse no that that should be a, a holistic thing that gives us the kind of insight that i guess we're we're sort of looking for here i suppose and that will merit much further discussion um but for now thanks butch thanks taha and we'll move on to our county championship preview hosted uh, you'll be pleased here by yasrana i'm alex rodriguez and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal each week you're here in conversation with business icons this show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. It's our big new season preview. We'll be taking a look at how the 18 counties are shaping up ahead of the summer, We'll run through some of the changes to the rules for 2023, pick out 16 players to watch, as well as giving you our predictions that I'm sure age as well as ever. In part two of the show, we'll chat through some of the stuff that's happened in the world game over the last five or so days. I'm Yasrana, and with me today is Ben Gardner, Joe Harmon and Phil Walker. Mark Butcher will be joining us later in the show and Katia Whitney will be joining Ben for part two. Um... I'm really excited. I always love the run of games you get at the start of the summer where there's nothing else happening in the English game. There are seven rounds in April and May before the T20 Blast gets going. Let's talk about Division 1 first and who we think will end up winning it. Um, Joe, when I was going through this, um, I thought there were probably six contenders and I couldn't really uh, separate them that much. So, sorry, Lancashire, Hampshire and Essex, who all finished in the top four last year. Warwickshire, who had that dramatic final day escape, but have a basically a new bowling attack. And Nottinghamshire, who dominated Division 2 last year and actually came quite close to winning it in 2021 when the divisions were structured very differently post-COVID. How, how do you see it? It's very hard not to start this with a cliche. It's a tough one to call, but <laughs> but it, it genuinely is. Uh, and I think Warwickshire are a good example of, of, of that in that they very, very nearly went down last season. But bar for Liam Norwell's heroics, they would have done Having won it the previous year, you go back a few years to Middlesex, who won it in 2016, got relegated the next year, and have only just come back to the top division. So, you know, it is very hard to defend your title. Yorkshire were the last side to do that in 2015. So, I mean, Surrey looked very strong, missing Jamie Overton for a good chunk of the season with a, a stress fracture at the back is is huge because he was their kind of enforcer of the attack last year. Bolton rapid spells, got those breakthroughs useful lower order runs as well. 
Um, but then Surrey do have those hugely deep resources that all other counties would be envious of. Uh, personally, I like the look of Lancashire this year. I've come so close two previous years, runners up in everything last year, all, all formats. Uh, and they've added Daryl Mitchell and Colin de Grandtom to their overseas ranks. They've still got Dane Villas. They've got three overseas players, which they can kind of rotate. They're not all available all year, but they'll some points they will be. Um, Keaton Jennings steps in as captain, who's a really impressive character, scored buckets of runs last year as well. I think the only potential spanner in the works is if Jennings got, got a call up for the Ashes. You could potentially see that happening with Crawley falling away and Jennings getting the call up. Although Jennings' record in home test matches against good pace attacks wouldn't necessarily push his case that strongly. But yeah, Lancashire looks strong for me, but I, I think probably one of four teams, I think six might be stretching it. I think Warwickshire's batting, it probably isn't strong enough to, to win the win the whole thing. Um, Hampshire will be strong again, but again, their batting looks a little bit fragile to me. Um, and probably the same with Essex. Again, you know, Harmer, Sam Cook will win games on their own, but they had a lot of underperforming batters last year. It'd be If they can step up, then there'll be challengers, but they will need to make quite a big jump up from last year. Mm. I suppose the one thing in Hampshire's favour is they do win a lot of games of cricket, which yeah. matters more this year. Um, That's true. Uh, I wonder, maybe something we should do for the website, looking at what the table would, last year's table would have looked like with this year's point structure, because um, they won more games than Surrey last year, who, who won the title, I think they only drew once. Um, and with that bowling attack, with just Carl Abbott and Mahone Bash, you're just going to win lots and lots of games of cricket and they play in an aggressive way mm. and you're not you're not quite as ball levels but they do they don't go all out for wins and they have nine donald at like number seven in their side as a as a kind of hitter so that that's absolutely true that the change of rules as butch will come on to will, will will help them yeah and that's the other thing that's tough to work out in terms of looking at form from last season compared to this season i think surrey obviously they had a brilliant team very strong and loads of depth but they did also just work out quite quickly how to win games of cricket in those unusual circumstances in the first few weeks when they had that new ball where everyone was scoring loads of runs it wasn't at all like traditional new season uh english county cricket and they realized that they could almost like basketball but more based on the conditions rather than based on it being a philosophy that they could go really quickly they could stack the side with all rounders they needed to give themselves enough time as possible to take those 20 wickets and that worked but it's not i don't think that'll be how the team that wins the title this season wins it and sorry also slightly less well placed to do that this season with Will Jacks being injured, I guess, yeah. who was a, a big part of that depth last year. So, yeah, I, th I think it's really tough to call as well, basically. Mm. Phil, how do you see it? Uh, Lancashire, I would say a favourites for me. Um, Sakib Mahmood will be back, fit. He only played one game last year uh, and they only just finished shy of the win of the, of the championship. So I think by a nose, I fancy Lancashire. Uh, I also... Obviously, you know, have a have an eye on Hampshire and have an eye on Surrey as well, of course. Um, Surrey, there's so much said around this stuff. Did you mention Sean Abbott is at Surrey? No. No. Okay, so you know, he's a he's a he's a quality seamer. He's not got the pace of a Jamie Overton and that point of difference that Overton brings and won them a couple of games last year that they probably wouldn't have won without that quick bowl bowler in the middle overs. I think Sean Abbott comes in and will do a very good job for them. Dan Worrell is an absolutely superb county bowler as well. So I think they remain very, very threatening, but they will be hit hard by England call-ups. I think it's five test matches in the middle chunk that you miss if you're an England test player, effectively. So Five championship games. Yeah, yeah. and you know that that's 
fixture clashes so you could conceivably miss more than that if England want to rest you yeah so that's, that's a good it's quite a good chunk of the season really to it, not it, have Ollie Pope to not have Ben Folks. it is undoubtedly but then in you know in Jamie Smith you have a very good Folks deputy um and obviously you have a number of batters I mean I was just watching them train yesterday and you think that someone like with Dom Sibley going there Probably as a ha- as an Amla replacement at number three, but you don't necessarily know that for sure. Jamie Smith is also a good opening bat as well as a number five. Someone like Ryan Patel, who's a very good player, might not even feature in their first eleven. So they have options everywhere. Um, that said, I would lean to to Lanks by nose, and my dark horses are Knots. So so Knots obviously came up last year, played like they had a grievance in Div Two last year, and. Almost infamously, they were only in Div 2 because we went from results from 2019 pre-COVID rather than what happened in the ensuing years. So they were in Division 2 last year and they were pissed off about that fact and they played as if they were. And they, there was them and then there was space and then there was the, the rest. They almost won it in 2021, knots, um, with probably a less developed team than they've got now. They've signed Ollie Stone. Obviously, sick note, Ollie Stone. You don't know what you're going to get with him, but if he's fit, he's a match winner. His numbers in county cricket are obscene. Uh, if he plays more than half the games for Knots, especially early season at Trent Bridge, where it does do things, and you have in the slipstream, you know, you have Fletcher, who's a fine bowler. You've got Dane Patson, who's a fine bowler. You've got Stuart Broad, who, who's going to want to play three or four games. I know he likes to say... I don't like to play too many before the internationals, but they're going to win games with that seam attack. The big question against Knots is is which batters turn up and which which don't, right? But uh, if we assume that Duckett plays for the first six six weeks at least and will obviously be feeling great, he's a match winner for them at three or or as an opener, but he'll probably be at three in that side. Hasib Hamid made. Well over, well north of a thousand runs last year, and batted beautifully at a good lick as well. Joe Clark is the interesting one in that side because Joe Clark only made, I think he made five fifties in Division Two, five fifties, no hundreds last year. His white ball game continues to to progress, but his red ball game has plateaued, stagnated. But he is a big match player, and whatever people might think of him and his history is irrelevant to how many runs he's going to score in Division One, where he's motivated by that. The question for me on Joe Clark is not about class, but it's about how much he wants it with England now a fading hope for him in Red Bull cricket. Uh, but if he fancies the challenge of, of Div 1 runs, then I think Joe Clark with his head on batting four or five is a very interesting option for a side where they have a good top three and him in, him at four. And then they have interesting players in the middle order. And, um, a, good, and a good spinner. And a good spinner in, in Patterson White, who... I think it was England's the best English county bowler, spin bowler last year. Uh, he doesn't get much press, but he's very useful. He bats as well. It's at eight or nine. They bat really deep. I mean, I They've would got be... a good keeper in 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 the boy Moors. You know, so it's it's interesting times mm. for them. I think I'd be more surprised if they go down than if they win it. Mm. I put it that way. I think they'd be more more likely to be up top than they are to be down the bottom. Mm. The, the one the one team that. Uh, I wrote about it in the magazine and I no longer think are in the mix is Essex because um, they've lost their overseas player. Now, they were, they'd signed Will Sutherland, who's a very good um, young cricketer in, from Australia, 23, good bowling all-rounder, 
skipper at Victoria, right? You know, son of James Sutherland, the C- CEO, former CEO at, at Cricket Australia. So comes from good cricketing stock, intelligent lad, really developing cricketer, would have been a very good county signing, I think. Done his back, hasn't he? Announced this morning. So, curse, Phil. So you picked out Emilio Gay as your one to watch yep. the magazine. 24 yep. hours later, he's on crutches. And last night, you put Will Sutherland on the email to Yaz. And a few hours later, he's he's down. So unless they can pick someone out um, that with, is within their modest budget, and we, we haven't yet heard, and I've asked them if there's any, any names I haven't heard back yet, I, I can't see Essex really putting enough runs on the board to, yeah. to stick it out. That said, it is a result pitch at Chelmsford. And with the change in the, the, the points, as Ben says, then perhaps... He was, he was a good signing, but I was a little bit surprised, given how their season went last year, that they were looking for a bowling all-rounder mm-hmm. rather than a batter. I mean, I wonder if this weirdly could end up being a blessing. Snater took a lot of wickets last year. Porter's still a threat. We've talked about Cook and Harmer. Feels like they need a, a banker in their middle order to, you know, if they can get a thousand run season from a middle order player... They should be right up there. I, and it's an absolutely fair comment. I think the, the the bet that they've hedged on that one, and obviously it's null and void now anyway, is that he would bat seven or eight anyway in that side. He's got a first-class hundred. But it's still packing that middle order of Essex with all-rounders. But I think what they're banking on is Lawrence not having a stinker as he did last year. Critchley, who started well and then fell away badly with the bat, him having a better year. And Rossington as well, the keeper bat, six or seven, he's got the talent to have a very good year. So I think they've looked at it and thought, none of our decent players have had good years. If two of the three have, have good good years, then we can make up for that again on result pitches at Chelmsford. Um, that said, I, I tend to agree with you. The problem is finding, within budgets, finding players who are going to be available for the majority of the season who are banker, middle order, thousand, thousand run plus sort of players. They are pretty hard to find mm. among overseas players these days. I think county fans might, um, their eyebrows might raise at some of the names that you get for overseas signings, players who, a lot of Australians who haven't played international cricket, but the reason for that is, is availability. Is they, they put a premium on players who can be around for an entire season and you get secondary effects of just influence on the dressing room as well, that you get more than someone who just comes in for a little bit. Um, yeah, it still is a bit surprising, though, especially some of the Pakistani players who are, Available like Saul Shaquille hasn't got a gig right, and mm. I know he's you know he only came into the, into the Pakistan fold over the winter, but he looked very good. You, you think if you're looking for a player who's a like sort of like a banker batter who should be able to just you know grind out. He's not getting any white season. ball call ups. Exactly, yeah. It's like uh, th- th- there are inefficiencies, I guess, in how those players are picked up, and it, and it is odd that you get so many Australians like you know what Nathan McAndrew's got gigs two years in a row, and I don't, he doesn't set anyone's pulses racing as a cricketer. I guess it's a uh, it is, it is surprising, and it's a good shout actually. And you know, if any if any club's looking for a top order batter, somebody like Shafiq, the opening batter of Pakistan, who's a Red Bull specialist. Only issue, so he's he's now in the White Ball frame. Is the issue? Oh, is he? So yeah, he was so meant to be going to Leicester, and of course, then yeah, of got course. called up to the White Ball stuff, or is about to be. He played. Yeah, it, so. it didn't go great for match. He's got he got four ducks in a row, and then finally made a twenty in in the most recent game. But yeah. Mm. Um, so yeah, then Leicester got Pete Hans come in instead. Who? Well, I've already talked about Pete Hans come on the podcast. <laughs> you can't I stand great signing. <laughs> um, I kind of think though with with Essex, Warwickshire, and Hampshire, I just if you have a bowling attack that just takes twenty wickets every game, you can get very. I mean, Hampshire nearly won it last year with when, the batting. When Warwickshire it. won it two years ago, I mean, as I've already said, they can't win mm. it because their batting wasn't that good. <laughs> they won't be that good this year. Yeah, but their batting wasn't that great when they won won the uh, whole thing. Yeah, I guess when I'm looking through the teams with Lancashire, you. 
other than Anderson, obviously, who's probably not going to play that much, no one in that team is going to get an England call-up, or it's very, very unlikely. And it looks like they're drifting towards almost a Surrey model of having a team where you have like at least three all-rounders in between six, seven, eight. Right. Um, so last season, the former England under-19 captain, George Balderson, he's, he opened the batting for a bit. He opens the bowling sometimes. One week he opens the batting. Next week he's batting number eight. Um, tidy bowler. Um, Better player you like, Tom Hartley. He mm. hasn't paid that much for them, but um, kept Matt Boggs and out of the side for a bit with his bowling, but he also bats a bit. He could end up batting seven or eight as well. Well, and DeGranton might end up being a kind of a hitter at seven as well, which is yeah. an incredibly useful player to have in, in that position. I, I think it's a, it's a bang on point that you make. And that's how that's what won it last year for Surrey. You know, they were often 150 for five, but invariably one of that mid to lower order. Overton had a good year, average Jordan 50 Clark. Plus. Jordan eight. Clark, obviously Curran when he played, averaged 75, I think, in well, the end. They had, did they have 11 or 10 or 11 players scored hundreds from the last year? Yeah. Mm. Which, yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that stat kind of summed up but then the top, year, I think. But then aggregate-wise, aggregate I think Burns made 800 and something, but that was the highest. So there you go. You know, again, that's the strength in depth. But that's, I think, the way that clubs are looking at a 14-16 game mm. season these days. Yeah. That you pack... You're bowling all-rounders. You pack your mid to lower orders as much as possible. Know that your top few are often going to get get one that you can't do anything about. Uh, and, you know, being 200 for five or six is not that bad a score, really, um, in in top-level Division mm. Division 1 to count cricket. And just on Warwickshire, it was worth actually pointing out how good their attack is in, and not just their their, their bowling, but also they, a lot of those guys can bat as well. So they've got Chris Wokes, who's not in the IPL, who's desperate to get back in the England test fold, who's going to be available for a lot of the early summer. Hassan Ali, that's one hell of a signing, given how well he did at Langs. Uh, Liam Norwell's basically missed the entirety of last season when he did play, took a ninth for. And Chris Rushworth, you know, that's, that's arguably one of the best bowling attacks in the country. They've also got Ed Bernard there from Worcestershire as a new signing. He's a and bowling Hannan rounder. And Hannan Dalby, who's been their best bowler for the yeah. last couple of years. So that's a side that you, you can rotate that attack and yeah. you've got guys who can bat, uh, at county cricket at least. Uh, Bernard and Wokes could definitely bat in the top six. So that that's a, that's a very strong side. You, you kind of think, one player alongside Hayne has a big season with the bat. They've probably got enough in there to mount a, a title challenge. Um, and they but, had a couple of guys who fell away a bit last season as well, didn't they? Having done, like, so what? Did Rob Yates, Ro- Rob Ro- Yates had a shot. Rose and Yates both made 400s in the championship season win, I think. Yeah. And they both struggled a lot last year. If if one or both of those comes back into form, then that becomes actually almost like quite a competitive proposition, I think. Yeah. Mm. Um, we had a question um, on Bahannon. Uh, Billy asks, feasibly, how many runs does someone like Bahannon have to get to be in serious England contention? Also, when was the last time that it felt like no one can really play themselves into a test spot at the start of the season? Which I think is a fair question, actually. I, I, I don't think there are any test spots up for grabs. It's a very different conversation to the one we usually have at this time <laughs> of year, isn't it? When we're just speculating wildly and picking out kind of 20 names by the end of the show. Yeah, yeah and, and Bahannon, I think, is, is not only are there not really spots for grabs, but the appeal of Bahannon, what, a year ago, 18 months ago, was the way he played and that he was a player of solid technique who got his head down and would occupy the crease. Now, that's that's not what they want. Mm. So I think he's, yeah, he's he's doubly struggling uh, because England suddenly have a lot of players making runs and also they make them in a certain way, which is not really how he goes about his, his game. Although I think he did score a bit more freely on a Lions tour where everyone seemed to kind of get caught up in the in the basball ethos. But I, th- I still think... 
bowler wise, I think there are still opportunities. I think just because more injuries come along to your to your seamers, it feels like the the first choice are, are locked down. But I, I do still feel like there are opportunities for not not maybe someone we haven't really ever thought of, but Saqib Mahmood, for instance, as Phil mentions, if he had a brilliant start to the season, I think he'd be right in Ash's contention. We can't really talk about Jofra Archer being, you know, a, a guaranteed to be in an Ashes squad because he just hasn't played Red Bull cricket for so long. So there are opportunities there. Ollie Stone is another. If he has a good start to the season, I could see him being part of the setup. Mm. Um, kind of looking lower down the table now and talking about the teams that we think might go down, uh, if it is the case that two teams go down. Um, North Ants were really hard to beat last season, but they also only won twice. And as we said, there are fewer points for a draw this year, down to five from eight and harder to get batting points. The first bonus points at 250 runs rather than 200 and it's five points at 450 rather than 400. Um, how do we think that North Ants will do this season compared to compared to last? Because I look at some of the sides around them and I think Kent are better than they were last season. I think Somerset are better than they were last season. Uh, Middlesex have come up and I think Middlesex might might struggle, but I think Middlesex will probably do do better than Gloucestershire did last year. So I think it's going to be really, really difficult um, for for a side like North Ants to, to survive. For a I, I think every, any year that North Ants play in the top division is a successful year for them. Uh, they did superbly well last year. Uh, they were safe with a couple of games to spare. Um, they're a really li- likeable club. They're, they're the sort of club that if you care about the model, in inverted commas, then you, you've got to really get behind a club like North Hans. They obviously don't have a big ground. They don't have a huge fan base, but they make money. They're, they're self-sufficient. Um, they bring through good young players. Uh, they recruit well. Um, they're the kind of club that uh, evokes something of the spirit and the, uh, the, the purpose and the value of the 18 clubs. Um, this year, they'll do really well to stay up, but We'd have said that last year as well. They've recruited David Willey um, from Yorkshire, you know, something of a local hero. I suppose he will be a sort of talismanic figure for them. He's obviously not going to take a massive amount of red ball wickets, uh, but he will win them a game or two, I, I, I venture, you know, as much with the bat from number seven as anything else. Uh, and they brought in Lewis McManus as well. He's a good, good sort of keeper bat from Hans. Um, clever, canny signing. Um, the Aussie Sam Whiteman as well. He's a good cricketer. You know, he's got good numbers. He's mm. 31 year old. He's he's a story, not a story, but you know, he's he's, a, he's an experienced cricketer, and the kind of cricket that they that they like. Um, mm. In the end, you know, if it doesn't happen for them in Red Bull cricket, then it's not the end of the world for them uh, because they have quite a thriving T20 side as well, and that's really where their their immediate flourishing future lies um it might be that they're a bit of a yo-yo club but but that they're a they're an absolutely integral part of the story really clubs like north ends mm. so you, you actually tipped them to uh to just avoid the drop in the magazine but that was when emilio gay i guess was going to play quite a significant part in the early mm. season does that does that does that tilt it or do you still think they've got the minerals to it does tilt it and actually that yaz makes a good point on the the value of the draw being that much less mm. now that definitely works against North Hans. They haven't got a match winning seam attack in the way that pretty much every other team in the division does. Um, yeah, I had them at eighth. I had um, Kent finishing bottom and who are my county. So I didn't do it with any pleasure and Middlesex coming ninth. Um, I think Kent's, Kent's got a good batting lineup, but their, their seam attack really struggled last year uh, and they've lost Matt Milnes to Yorkshire 
Arshdeep Singh coming in for half a dozen or four or five games in the middle of the summer. That's exciting, but that's such a short stint. I mean, if he's brilliant and wins you three games, then obviously you're pretty much mm. staying up on that basis. But bringing in Michael Hogan at the age of about 74, uh, who retired at the end of last season, doesn't feel like it's going to revitalise the the pace attack. And now obviously he'll go on and take 60 wickets yeah. this season. <laughs> I, I, I'm surprised you, you think that because I, I, they, they really struggled at the start of last season. But they, they did kind of find an attack that kind of worked by the end of it. So Matt Quinn, who, who's who been around the counter game for a while, did do really well at the end of the last season. I think Hogan will still do okay. Um, and Nathan Gilchrist, Gilchrist, is, Gilchrist is, is, a is a good bowler, bowler as well. Yeah. So uh, that's obviously not one of the better attacks in the division, but given how good their top seven is, I think I think they'll be fine. Um, I guess I, I actually, I feel like I wish I'd picked this guy as my first team bolter for later on. But Hassan Azad is interesting. I mean, he's, he's not there on a full contract. He's just there as kind of like a, a backup option for a few weeks while Emilio Gay recovers. But we obviously, there's lots to like about him. He's had a, um, done some really good things in counter cricket. I think people were a bit surprised when he got released at the end of last season. And then even more surprised when he couldn't, there weren't sort of like a, a set of suitors after him. Uh, but he'll have a point to prove if he does get on that team sheet. Hmm. Um, what do we think about Somerset and Middlesex? Somerset, uh, kind of the same as ever, really. Like brilliant bowling attack. Batting lineup is decent, but they're probably going to struggle to rack up the runs to challenge at the top of the division. Um, they've brought in... Sean Dixon, who had a really good season at Durham last year, that that should make a bit of a difference. Um, Cam Bancroft will be a, a good signing for for a few games. Um, They've certainly uh, improved their batting, burnished their batting. You know, to have Cola, Cola Cadmore, Dixon, Bancroft, they are three good top order players as well. So I imagine their their policy will be to bat slowishly, solidly. And try and hope that the pitch starts to break up, you know, win a few tosses, bat first, uh, bat within yourself in effect, and then try and win games rather than go for bonus points. Um, but yeah, I can't see they've probably got enough quality to, mm. to bother the top end, but I don't think they'll be, they'll be struggling to, to stay up either. And they've also, got... when it comes to just winning games at the end of the season <laughs> to stay up, they're good at, you know, getting the surfaces that allow them to do that. And, and also Craig Oden is one of the best players uh, in, in the county championship. And what, one thing on them as well with their batting, it's possible they, they've got a couple of really highly rated young batting talents who you never know could make that big step, take that big step up. Um, James, like James, James Rue's Rue. a good young player. When we did the, well, Phil did the captain's round table for the magazine, Sam Billings picked him out as, as a young player to, to watch, particularly in Red Bull cricket mm. this summer. Um, and yeah, he displays Steve Davis was keeping by the end of last season. Uh, I think Somerset, yeah, they're one of those sides that I, I think is really hard to, to pick. I think that actually, if a, as you say, if a couple of batters come off, they could be right near the top of the division, but they have they just haven't done that really. Last mm. year, if it wasn't for Tom Abel, they'd be in Division 2 this year and he had a mm. brilliant year. Um, and finally on Division 1, how do you think Middlesex is going to do on their return to the top flight? Mm. Go on, Joe. You've well, got well, them going down. Well, I had them going down just because they've struggled so much in Division 2. And they didn't win a whole stack of games last year. They were very nearly pipped by Glamorgan, and they haven't really—they haven't massively strengthened their sides to, to to make me think that they're going to score enough runs to stay up. They were meant to be getting um, Keshav Maharaj uh, Maharaj in for uh, a good chunk of the season, and he injured himself uh, celebrating a wicket for South Africa, so he's he's out. Um, and 
batting wise, they've got Peter Milan, the South African back, who did okay last year without kind of pulling up any trees. It just feels like they're going to struggle to win enough games. Uh, and again, with the value of the draw being diminished, they might be struggling. I think Toby Rodan Jones will, will no doubt take a stack of wickets and, and Murta will continue to do what he does, but they just look a bit weaker um, than, than most. Well, the, the, maybe on paper, I think Northant's the only side that look weaker, but Northant's have a clear, defined way of playing, which has served them well. I'm not sure Middlesex mm. quite have that yet. Mm. No, I think I agree with that. Yeah, because there was the financial trouble, wasn't there, that was, I guess, revealed by Will McPherson in the... Uh, yeah in the Telegraph and I guess revealed itself maybe over the course of the off season, which has probably impacted their ability to strengthen to try and uh, make the push to stay in the division, mm. I guess. They've brought in Ryan Higgins, uh, has a brilliant few years, who began at Middlesex, had a brilliant few years at Gloucester. He'll be a useful player for them, uh, but I tend to echo Joe. You know, I think they're going to struggle a little bit, mm. certainly for runs. Before we go to Division 2 and our ones to watch, uh, there are a few changes, as we've mentioned, this year in the County Championship. Let's go to Mark Butcher to hear his thoughts on them. Cool. Butch, before I get you on the, the rule changes um, coming up this summer, uh, let's hear who you think is going to win Division 1. I don't think we're going to be awfully surprised by who you've gone for, but let's hear why. <laughs> uh, well, I, well, I'm going to go for Surrey, aren't I? Um, it's very, very difficult to go back to back as um, as lots of teams I've found out over the years, um, but I think I think they're I think they're a terrific club, and they've got they've got young players coming through to replace the likes of Pope and folks. I mean, the, the, the news about Bairstow, um keeping wicket at the beginning of the summer for, for Yorkshire adds a, an interesting little subplot, doesn't it? Um, to what England might decide to do, um, et cetera, et cetera. But but the, the likelihood is, but even without Pope folks that they're going to have um you know going to have plenty uh there at the oval and, and and you know sean abbott is a terrific signing as well um notwithstanding the fact that that it's going to be a really tough year so i think look like a very strong side warwickshire's bowling attack looks out of this world um you know knots are going to be going to be hard to beat and i know that lanks are lanks are favorite within the um within the office up there at wisdom uh, and they, they will also be they be tough Tough opposition as well. Um, we might end up in a situation where the weather plays a huge part in this early part of the, the summer. Um, uh, let's hope that's not the case, mm. and that we get um, we get sort of even even days of play and whatever um, you know through, throughout the from the north and the south. Um, but uh, the, the early portents are not particularly good, are they? This is normally the best part of the year, March, April, and it's been absolutely stinking so yeah. far. So um, and and the forecast is is really bad ahead of the first round of fixtures as well um, yeah um you know so those things i don't know whether that actually that probably favors the southern teams anyway doesn't it um which i will say with a with a large smile on my face as well because i'll get abused for that but <laughs> i think it's just the truth um so anyway it, it promises to be a really good summer and of course you know with all the with players all up and down the country with an ashes series it always you know players always sort of like thinking to themselves or if i get off to a flyer here I've, you know you've got half a chance if people get injured etc so um you know it, it should be something to keep an eye on but i'm going with uh, i'm going with the brown hats unsurprisingly um well there are a few changes to this year's championship so the, the kookaburra ball which has less of a pronounced seam and does a little bit less off the pitch and through the air that's going to be used for two rounds in the middle of the summer where hopefully the weather will be at its best 
Um, batting points will be slightly harder to get. So instead of 200 for the first bonus batting point, it's 250 um, and going up in uh, 50s from there. So 450 for the fifth point rather than 400. Um, and then I think the biggest one is going to be how many points you get for a draw. So it's going to be five points for a draw compared to eight last season. Last season with all the run scoring we had in the early summer, um, there were a lot of draws. And I kind of yes. wonder if... Even though if you if you kind of look at last year's table, it wouldn't have changed that much if you had the current draw system in, draw point system in. I do wonder that just seeing on, on a piece of paper at the start of the season that you only get five points for a draw just changes how you go about things. All right. Well, okay. Well let, let me let me address let's go back to the Kookaburra ball first. Cool. Um because I'm I've got a I've got a huge rant coming about the about bonus <laughs> points thing. So we'll save that for last. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with the Kookaburra. My, my feeling is this. I, I played um, a long, long time back, obviously, but playing we played second team cricket with Kookaburra Bulls back in the, the early 90s. Um, and the thing that we found was that even though the seam is slightly less pronounced, they swung like Billy-O. I was going to use a, a, a much stronger word, but I, I went all, went all uh, Christian there for a second. Um, they swung miles. The difference in, in what happens to a kookaburra ball in the UK as opposed to what happens to it overseas in hotter climates where the pitches and, and, the, and the soil is much harder and more abrasive is that they actually maintain a shine much better and they swing like you would not believe. Um, so very, very interested to see how that turns out. One thing that it might, you know, spinners will quite enjoy it. Um, you know, if it gets a little bit tacky and they can really wrap their fingers around it and get it, get a bit of something on it. Um, I, I don't think it's going to be the panacea. Yeah, a little bit like when they decided to use the juke ball in, in Australia for the, for the shield rounds. They found that it was, you know, it was it was slightly disastrous. It nipped all over the place in the, um, you know, when it, when it was brand new, um, which is what they were hoping for. But then, you know, the 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 the, the the soil in Australia just ripped the thing to shreds and it became as useless as a kookaburra does afterwards. So it's, it's actually, and I go back to this all the time, the pitches are the most defining factor of what happens. Um, the ball is, is, is always slightly secondary and it, and it may have um, inverse consequences to the ones that are intended, but, so, but we'll so, see. So it's possible that the kookaburra ball does less than the Dukes when it's brand new, but mm. over 20 onwards, it actually might do... Well, no, it, no, because for some for some bizarre reason, the kookaburra actually swings swings brand new in a way that the, the duke doesn't. Okay, but what it does is it will keep it will keep doing it. It will keep swinging. Um, I, I don't know. You know, they'll probably have to to add a, some extra lacquer or something to it to waterproof it a bit better for for UK conditions or whatever. But I, I remember, and it's it is a long time back, but I remember the thing just hooped and it just kept doing it. Um, you know, it didn't get the it didn't get the sort of the the buff knocked off it in the way that it does when you're playing with it um, in Australia or in South Africa. So it'd be interesting to see how that how that works out. Um, and then on eight points for a draw going down to five points. Right. Okay. Well, I mean, the the intention, I suppose, with with five points for the draw is to try and make teams be more enterprising. Um, uh, in terms of trying to, to, to gain victories, to get your captains to work a little bit harder, think about the amount of runs um, that you need to win a game as opposed to the amount of runs you need to make full bonus points. Which brings me on to the bonus point system, which should disappear. It's I, I don't understand why we have one. Because if, if the intention is to play cricket um, for results, 
which is not to say that you play on pitches where the, where a result happens in two days. That's where the, the, the people who are officially tasked with making sure that pitches are proper uh, come in. Why, why bother making their five batting bonus points for 450? You might only need 380 to win the game. My, I've, I've always, always thought that having bonus points is, a, is just the worst thing that you could possibly do in, in cricket. Because what they are is a game within a game. You might you write off the bowling points because virtually everybody gets them the whole time, 120 overs or whatever it is you get to get your bowling points. So that's they just work themselves out as being pretty much equal over the course of the summer. And then batting points are unnecessary because you should only score the amount of runs you need to win the game. You shouldn't be out there searching for, for an extra 50 just so that you get an extra point. It's nonsense. It's always been nonsense. It's still nonsense. And the fact now that you've give, that you've reduced the amount of draws in order to, to encourage teams to to um, to go for more wins kind of tells you that it's nonsense. Hmm. Do, do I, I guess play, playing devil's advocate, it's an incentive to produce better pitches. No, no, you what, you, what, but but it doesn't work, does it? That hasn't worked. We've always had <laughs> we've always had bonus points, and it's never made the slightest bit of difference. The only incentive you need is that there are penalties for, for pitches which are which have been underprepared on purpose, um, or or prepared to suit a particular side's strength rather than producing the best pitches that you can possibly have. Mm. Um, you know, here 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 for my good pals, the, the groundsmen and the ones that I've spoken to, is why I'm not having a go at groundsmen because I know what happens. Manager, director of cricket will go to the groundsman and say, "Oh, we want you to leave a bit of extra grass on it, or can you stick the hose on it for 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 a good couple of days before the game because we've got X team coming." Or they say, "Can you shave a bit off at this end because we want it to spin for our off spinner?" And they've got you know whatever it might be. I know how it works. Groundsmen don't go out there on purpose to produce pitches that are that are substandard or at least that do too much. But sometimes they're put under pressure to do to make that happen. Um, so look. The whole bonus points thing is, is completely and utterly ridiculous. We lose an enormous amount of cricket over the course of, of every summer because of the nature of our weather, right? So having incentives to, to, to bat out a day and a half in order to score five points and then pick up your points for the, for the draw, why not just make it, well, the incentive there is to try and score enough runs to win the game or to do it in an in amount of time, as Ben Stokes did in Islamabad, to try and make the game move forward so you can put yourselves in a position where you play under pressure for a win. Mm. Now, all the while that there are bonus points to fall back upon and large amounts of points for draws, etc., you don't that doesn't happen. That it, you know, you just go, well, okay, we've got we've got X amount of games over the course of the season. We'll just make sure that we pick up our bonus points here and we'll move on to the next one. And then we wonder why you don't have captains who have got any any kind of enterprise or or, or brain power between them so don't need it you just fall back on the amount of points that you can gather just simply by not playing for any sort of result whatsoever mm. um you know I, I i hated them when i played now and the fact that they keep moving them around in order to oh we need to make the game more interesting less draws or whatever it might be just tells you that you don't need them in the first place you have six points for a win two points for a draw nothing for nothing that's it done I think, I think you made your point quite clearly. Um, <laughs> just to pick up on something you said about pitches, do you have a problem with counties tailoring pitches to suit their advantage? So, for example, Leicestershire, they've not won a game in two years. They've got 
Callum Pongson, who's one of the best English, uh, one of the best English finger spinners in the country, and they've got Rahan Ahmed, who's an 18-year-old leg with a Test fifer to his name. Yeah. Surely, you know, England go to India next year, and I, you know, we've got a pretty good idea about what the picture's going to be like there. Um, yeah. For at least half the series. Um, what, do you have an issue with a county like a Leicestershire changing their pitches from one season to another to suit the players they have at their disposal? No, no, I don't. I don't have I don't have an issue with that. What I, what I have an issue with is that that you deliberately would underprepare or make them make a pitch less than um, less than playable in order to do that. I have no issue with them with, with them making sure that there's very little grass on, or making sure that they that, that they're going to going to turn or wear over the course of the game. That's, that's no problem at all. I have no no issue with with teams, um, you know, leaving a little bit of grass on and making sure that making sure that their their seamers are in the game. I have no problem with that either. What I do have a problem with is is kind of leaving them leaving them to such an extent, a little bit like India do. And here's another. There's more stuff coming from my inbox. But you know, India, India found themselves, you know, with with world class batsmen who can't score any runs because they're playing on pitches that are woefully underprepared, and they have no reason to do so. They're a good team. Why would you do that? Mm. Completely mad. Um, and and that's and that's why I have an issue with. Um, you know, so of course you will play to your advantage. That's what playing at home is all about, but you, but not to the point whereby the game becomes a lottery and you end up, you know, it's all over in, in a day and a half, two days. Um, that's that's nonsense. That's not that's not cricket at all. Mm. I like how um, a bit on the county championship can still end up having a little little dig uh, at a couple of the pitches that we've seen in India over the last couple of years. <laughs> well, yeah, but uh, you know, I I understand I understand why it happens. I understand why it happens if you're not a very good team. I have sympathy for sides that kind of, you know, they struggle to bowl teams out or they have massive masses of injuries and all those kinds of things, which means that they're they're slightly impotent, um, in which case you might you might be a little bit naughty with a, with the odd surface here or there. What mm. I don't understand is why if you you know, if you've got world class fast bowlers, world class spinners, world class batters, you'd play on you'd play on absolute dung heaps. I just don't I don't get it. Mm. Well either way, at Mark Butcher seventy two. Um, if you have any comments on that anyway cheers cheers for your time Butch Um, catch you next week or the week after so moving on to Division 2 Yorkshire are surely favourites right I don't think anyone will disagree with that Um, Dalvin Milan is going to be available for a lot of that early season potentially even Johnny Bairstow as well they're going to have Sean Massoud and Adam Lyde in the top order recruited Matt Milnes from Kent Um, I found predicting who's going to finish second really really difficult um the pack below uh knots last season was was pretty tight middlesex weren't that far above the rest and those below middlesex are all very compact um does anyone want to want to make a bold early prediction for who's going to be second um ben do you want to go well i mean it's that's based, bold. Based, 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 based on the fact they finished third last season, and there's a you know Glamorgan are, uh, um, oh, I think they're pretty well stocked. I mean they'll, they'll still have Labuschagne for uh, you know a fair amount of time. They've got Nisa who will take lots of wickets. Um, Hogan's a loss, uh, but I think uh, I guess yeah, it, it's just so tricky to predict because especially when it can also depend on which teams are struggling down the bottom as well. Like if you can get the 
um, the results over teams at the right time kind of thing, then you go on. It's, oh yeah, it's so hard. But I, I think mm. I'd go to Glamorgan, basically. Mm. Um, you mentioned Sussex in the magazine. And the more I think about it, the more I like that idea. They're the wild card, aren't they? The Do you want to explain, explain why? Well, they've been like truly dreadful for a few years. Sure. But if you go through their team, they've got two of the... They've, they've genuinely got one of the best opening uh, partnerships in either division, in Ali Orr and Tom Haynes. They can have Pajara. Uh, a guy called Steve Smith's going to play a few games, so they should be fine in the batting. But to be honest, they were for a lot of last season as well. Their bowling was ex- extremely weak. They found taking 20 wickets very difficult, and they have a very good pitch at Hove. But if Ollie Robinson plays, and he's missed a lot of last season... Um, if he plays a good chunk of games at the start, um, I think they're going to be a very, very difficult team to beat. And they've brought in um, Nathan McAndrew. And I know that he's not a name that really excites that much, but he is he's, he's a major upgrade on a lot of their very young um, attack. Uh, the, the, the young crop there are all a year older. Uh, Jack Carson is highly rated um, and missed a lot of last season as well. So... I can see them doing a lot better than they did last season, and especially if Ollie Robinson starts, he's fit and firing. You know, that, that a combination of him, a couple of guys who do okay with the ball, and a very, very good batting on up. Like you can see how they go on a bit of a run in a way that you can't actually see. That's many other sides in the division doing. Mm. If that makes sense, I think the most notable signing is Paul Farbrace coming in. Mm. Uh, that is a dramatic shift for me in Salisbury, who, you know, to to his credit, had this kind of holistic approach to coaching in that he wanted the the county to benefit the whole system he wanted to be producing young players on really good pitches who could go on and play for England and there's a lot to be admired in that but it makes it quite hard when you've got the flattest deck in the country and a and a young seam attack still struggling to find their way um Paul Farbrace came in and I, I quoted him in the in the magazine I haven't come here to continually help and develop a group of talented young players I've come here to win well Salisbury was almost saying <laughs> The opposite. Mm. I mean, he wasn't saying I've come here to lose. That would be ridiculous. But he, but he he was saying the priorities are to build this side up over years. And I think one win in two Red Bull seasons for Sussex, patience was wearing thin with that approach. And Farbrace is, you know, as as that quote suggests, is not going to come in and pussyfoot around and put arms around the shoulder. He wants to win games. And I think Sussex will will play very different cricket potentially on quite different pitches. That'll be really interesting to see what pitches they prepare at Hove. Um, so yeah, I, I think they're a real wild card, but I, th- I think I had them sixth or seventh, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they mm. end up going, coming in just behind Yorkshire. Mm. Um, I think Gloucestershire are going to be interesting. They struggled in division one, but their squad is very similar to last year's, but they've brought in Martian to Langer as well to bolster the attack. And, and Joe, you made the point before we started recording that, um, Zafa Gohar in, in division two could just, he could be, he could be the leading spinner easily in, in the division. Yeah, absolutely. I think he could take a lot of wickets and they've got a good top four. They've got a solid top four. Marcus Harris is back for another season. You've got Chris Dent, who's reliable source of runs. James Bracey, who's had a difficult time of it um, since having his brief chance of England, but is a good player and I, I suspect he'll he'll come back strongly this year. And then Miles Hammond, who scored quite a few runs last year. I think that's just that's solid enough to mean they'll definitely be in the mix. And then mm. you throw in Gohar and I think I think they might take that second spot behind Yorkshire. Yeah, yeah. And, and the youngster Tom Price did pretty well in Division One. I think he's only twenty one or twenty two. Uh and doing well in Division One last year. Not that many seamers actually did that. So that that bodes well for for this summer. Yeah. Ryan Hing's is a big loss, I guess we're saying it's a big gain for Middlesex. I guess the thing as well is if if they can get the the pitch is right in a way. I can actually see them 
winning games in quite a, almost like a traditional fashion. Like if they can have like a pitch that's sort of flat and they can get big runs on the first day and that just offers enough turn to go on the last day because he does have a really good record. I felt like that was almost a lot of maybe quite late season wickets and mm. also late in games as well that he's, he, I think he's a match winner with the ball as well as being, you know, he's, he's a tidy spinner that can do a job in the first innings. But I think to have that, uh, that incision, he needs a little bit of help, which he was getting at times. And if they can get the pitches that allow them to get the big runs and then uh, bowl sides out with Goha, then that could be a, a bit of a recipe, I think. It's mm. a real point of difference in that there is a lack of quality spin in Division 2 as well. So you can kind of prepare pitches that will turn without being particularly fearful of what the opposition will do to you in response. Mm. So I think that really works in their favour. Mm. Um, in the magazine, there was a 10 burning questions section um, focusing on the county summer um phil one of those was about whether or not leicestershire can win a game um it's an interesting one they've got rahane but not until after the ipl and then they've got rahan ahmed who barely played last summer but he's now got a test viper in one of the most exciting players in the world yeah probably so, the best batter <laughs> let alone his bowling yeah but. um yeah how, how do you see leicester do i mean how I mean, it feels it feels like with rahan ahmed we might not get that long of him playing county cricket county championship cricket so we might as well enjoy it whilst it lasts. enjoy the 18 year old <laughs> while, while he's still fresh uh what's what's the point of leicester's four-day story uh it's a tough one to answer they'd have to try and answer that themselves um those numbers are almost comical really uh and food for thought for the for the punters right you know because they will have some a fair few loyalists who will be traipsing down to grace road every every thursday morning knowing pretty much full well what's what's going to transpire three and a half days later but they've uh, not thrown in the towel have they the, the fact that they've gone and got rahane who's <coughs> playing red Bull cricket and the one day cup interestingly but not part of the blast they don't need to make that signing do they if, if they're gonna just throw in the towel for red Bull cricket you don't you don't waste the money on an Indian test star or former Indian test star. Well, firstly, I, th I hear what you're saying. I don't disagree with it, but this is a marketing campaign, right? Leicestershire, and I remember when Wazim Khan was there, he was very, very clear on this. It has a, a densely multi-ethnic population. There's a lot of cricketing interest and a lot of passion around that, around that area, and they want to try and harvest that and use that to replenish the club and to bring to bring a, a kind of a, a fresh set of fans through. Now, the way to do that is to bring in the odd the odd Indian icon, and they did it with Saywag ten years ago, and so on and so on. So it, it sort of it makes sense within their their policy. And while Rahane is going to be very useful for them in white clothing, he's going to be even more useful for them in coloured clothing, uh, because that's when you do tend to get the numbers through. But of course, if one can bleed into the other, then all the better. I imagine also Rahane's probably made enough money in his time and he probably quite fancies knocking around, you know, in, 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 in lovely leafy East Midlands, yeah. you know, for, for a, a few months. Um, again, similar to the North Ant story, but you, you root for them. You want them to find a way through. Uh, you want them to find a way to balance the competing challenges of being a modern modern county club in the modern era where there's so many requirements sort of um across the board now you know it's such a splintered game now and it's very very difficult we're seeing it more and more but that fact in itself holds it holds me back from from criticizing them because you know they're up against an immensely difficult ecosystem they're one of four clubs within the midlands and we've seen how 
you know, there's always that talent drain away from Leicester to the more lucrative, more more well-heeled clubs up the road, such as Knotts. And yet they do still bring through these cricketers, you know, from Broad to James Taylor to Rayan Ahmed now and others that elude me. But they've always provided that more so than other bigger clubs. So they're again, they're a part of the story for sure, even if they do tend to bring up the rear come the end of September. Mm. And they've got, I mean, the, the struggle to keep hold of players continues. Callum Parkinson, who was their Red Bull skipper, for much of last season is, is no longer captain because he wouldn't commit his long-term future to the club, um, which would suggest, you know, he's, he's eyeing up other options. I think he might be into the last year of his contract. He is. So, so yeah, it just, it just, just goes on. I mean, brilliant news from the Ryan Ahmed signed a long-term contract at the end of last year or over the winter perhaps. But like you say, they're not going to see a huge amount of him probably. Um, so yeah, enjoy him while you can, but it, it does seem odd. They didn't play him. When you spoke to Jigger Nike, he said there yeah. had been some injury. Yeah, problems. yeah, no, he had, he did have injury problems, so it wasn't it was. I mean, there were also some games where he wasn't. Yeah, picked, I mean, I he also did start last season, age seventeen. So yeah. there's that too. And I guess also, as much as we say, you know, he's not going to play a huge amount for Leicester. He's not on the verge of nailing down a first choice spot for England in any format. I mean, he's he's mm. very very exciting, uh, and there's obviously loads of like, and we've all seen how, how good he can be. But there'll uh, be franchise interest as well. Though, that, that, that that's true. Yeah, but um. But he'll 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 get a bit of time this this season at least this this might be the time when he gets some so hopefully they can have a arrive at a turning pitch somewhere and then that'll maybe be where they get their one win I don't know mm. I yeah, mean, well, in all sorry I just say, with all seriousness with Callum Parkinson and Rohan Ahmed in your attack like surely surely mm. make a pitch that turns as much as possible like uh, I remember when Matt Parkinson was on the podcast he was talking about a game where he played against Callum and he said he he talked about how the pitch if you're a young spinner. Grace Road has been a really, really difficult place to be a young spinner um, in the last few years compared to a place like Old Trafford. Um, so you'd think that with the talent they've got in Parkinson and Rahan, they they would surely try to manufacture conditions to suit them. Especially with um, the games when they've got Rahane as well. Mm, absolutely. So the three teams we've not mentioned yet are Worcestershire, Derbyshire and Durham, who finished four, fourth, fifth, sixth last summer in Division 2. And I think all three of them are very much in the mix uh, for promotion. So just on Durham, I think any side with Potts and, and Brian Cast, if he remains fit, are going to be up there by the end of the season. A big if, granted. But those are two of the most exciting bowlers in the division. Um, ben Rain as well as a third team, a very useful bowler at that level. Very, and very useful. They're an interesting story as well. They've got this kind of Dutch element to their side now. Ryan Campbell, the former Dutch coach, has come in replacing James Franklin and brought in two Dutch internationals, which has a kind of different different feel to it. They And they, I think they underperformed last year, really. Mm. I, I thought they would, should be in the mix for promotion. They were actually sort of, where did they come last year? Uh, say six, six last year. Yeah. yeah. They, they, I mean, they're probably slightly better than that. Mm. Um, David Beddingham's a, a really good player. They, they've lost Sean Dixon, who's gone to Somerset. He, he was their opening bat last year, did well. Made a triple, I think, maybe year before last, mm. but... They've lost him a bit of a blow. Um, Michael Jones, Scottish keeper bat or bat keeper. He's a good cricketer, really good cricketer. I saw him make a very, very good 80-odd last year. Ollie Robinson is the the other Ollie Robinson. We're going to get to him a bit later. But but Joe, that is a, that's a, that's a very, very good signing and potentially someone who could be at the club for the next 10 years. Yeah, I mean, Kent, Kent didn't want to lose him, but they have a lot of keeper bats. Mm. Uh, that, yeah, really good signing for Durham. Um, and the other two sides, Worcestershire and... Um, Derbyshire 
Um, I guess with Worcestershire, what a player I'm going to pick out later on, Kashif Ali, talked about him before in the pod, but he broke his thumb, I think, at the end of the last season where he was set to play quite a lot in the county championships. He still only played one county championship game. Um, they've just got Ed Pollock on a... He's just signed a new deal. Um, they've got Adam Hose back. I don't know how much Red Bull cricket he's going to play, but he's really established himself as one of the better uncapped white ball players in the country. So I don't know... Um, don't know quite how he's going to go. They, but... they, when they signed him, I think it was Alan Richardson. Yeah, I think he said, no, it wasn't. It was Paul Pridgen, who is their sort of uh, director of cricket role. Yeah. They want him to play Red Bull cricket. They bought him with a view to playing Red Bull cricket. And that's why he left, wasn't it? Yeah. As well? yeah. They're, 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 a, they're going to be a really watchable team, Worcester. So they've got those two that you mentioned, a couple of dashes basically in Hose and Pollock, but they've also got Jack Haynes, one of the best young stylists in the country who made 300s in a in three weeks last mm. year. But they've also got this this cohort of quicks. Um, I think we might be mentioning one or two of them later on. But if you look at, again, going back to the North Hans Leicester point, they produce really good young English cricketers. Mm. And they've got Barnard's gone to Worcester, gone to Warwickshire because he's, he's outgrown New Road in effect, but they've got uh, Pennington, Josh Tung, Mitchell, um, Mitchell Stanley. They've got some really good young quicks, proper quicks mm. as well. So they're doing something right. It might not necessarily show up in final league positions, but again, they're doing a lot of things right. Mm. Um, and similarly, Derbyshire, um, Mickey Arthur's Derbyshire, um, obviously losing Sean Massoud, who scored all those runs at the start of last season, that, that is a big loss. But And I look down their lineup and I think, Probably still short and batting, even though they've got Lewis Deploy and Wayne Madsen. Um, but they made a lot of runs last year, though. Yeah, Again, that's true. Playing on a very that's flat true. pitch, struggled to get wins. Um, yeah, I, I think more the issue for me is is their seam attack. Sam Connors mm. bowled really well last year. Got on the Lions' side, and there's talk about him being the you know the first Derbyshire player to play for England for a long, long time. I think since Dominic Cork might be in, te- mm. in Test cricket. Uh, Lackmau, who they signed on a two-year deal, went down pretty much straight away last year, but is coming back for his second year. So they'll, they'll hope that he can get through the season much better than he did. But it's, it's that seam attack that would that would stop me saying they're genuine mm. promotion contenders, but I, I yeah. think they're probably more mid-table. Um, okay, so it's, it's worth mentioning as well, just that, that point on draws not being worth as much, that goes even more for Division 2 than Division 1 last year. So only Sussex and Leicester lost more than three games last year in Division 2. So but those those sides, are gonna, they're going to have to just turn draws into wins and mm. that's a that'll be really um I, just just back on Derbyshire's attack Zach Chapel is an interesting signing people have talked about him for years as being like a, 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 an exciting quick but he didn't really get that much of a look in another Leicester Notch. product yeah um and George Scrimshaw as well uh he was a rare bright spark and a dismal Welsh fire uh team in the 100 last year um and there's one game it's a televised game where he bowled really really well um, in the blast for Derbyshire. So he's, he's got pace. So he's not really yet converted that into um, Red Bull success. But Zach, Zach Chappell is well worth that mention. Um, mm. We did a thing in the magazine maybe three years ago now, and Kevin Shine, who was involved in, S- in the UCB's fast bowling programme, picked him out as a really, really good, talented young bowler. He's had injury issues. It's not worked out for him. He went to Gloucester last year on loan, did well in 20-over cricket. I think had a couple of four-day games towards the end of the season. Did okay. If he can stay fit, he's tall, he's got a bit of pace. 
you know, in Div 2, that might be very useful for them. Mm. And they've got a genuinely world-class coach. I mean, Mickey Arthur's <laughs> about, it's kind of still a bit odd that he's there with no disrespect to Derbyshire. Just, you know, he's coached mm. pretty much every Test Nation going. Uh, and he's pitched up at Derbyshire and loves county cricket. It's a, it's a, it's a brilliant story. I think, mm. I, I mean, I, I would, if it was done to preference, I'd have them going up this year, but I think they might be a little bit short. Um, and to finish, we're going to pick out our ones to watch for the summer. So we've got four categories. We've got an overseas one to watch, a first team newbie. So this is someone who basically hasn't played that much first team cricket. Uh, then a breakthrough player who's, I guess, one level above that, someone who did play a fair bit last year, but has not really had a standout season yet. And then a test bolter, someone who could conceivably force their way into test contention in the next 12 or so months. Um, Phil, do you want to go first? So my first team newbies, Mitchell Stanley, just mentioned big, strong, strapping quick from Worcester, uh, who only played T- T20 games last year, but made his mark. Uh, he's everything you'd look for in a young quick. What he doesn't have, of course, is is red ball experience. It might be that he'll he'll be kept at arm's length, but if they do throw in the ball, then he, he'll be well worth watching. He has all of those components uh, for a classic fast bowling unknown on Tuesday night and, and mm. talk of the town on the Wednesday morning. Test bowl to Bryden Cass. Not played a test match yet, but they like him a lot. He's played some ODIs if he can stay fit, etc., etc. Uh, he's good, strapping, quick. Joey Everson. Iverson? Everson. 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 So he's gone to Kent um, from Knotts. He was a star in the under-19s England side. Um, he's highly rated. I was speaking to his batting coach, actually, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was saying he's looking in good, in good spirits, good form. Um, I think Kent had bought him with a view to playing him across all the formats. Uh, he bowls a bit as well. Um, kind of cricketer that that might go well you never know he's basically but, a Darren Stevens replacement that's it yeah um, that's and it. he he's a classic Kent signing in that he like completely dominated the second 11 stuff whilst not being able to get looking at knots yeah um, but, although he's more to, he's definitely more of a batter than a bowler mm, at this stage yeah, whereas yeah, Stevens, yeah. you'd say was was that's the true. flip side of that at this point yeah. but by the I mean, end, yeah. If, if he is going to be a serious placement, he's got a few years. So. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. So his bowling will already come on when he's about 35. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, the, can I just say on Mitchell Stanley, because yeah. I was jealous when Phil got that as his pick, uh, He, his story of how he kind of got into the, or like became recognised last year. So I think it was in a T20 blast game, basically the, the one of like his fourth or third or fourth game he was playing for Worcestershire and he was opening the bowling to Joss Butler and second or third ball nicks him off and gets... But Butler's dropped at slip, but Butler is then Manchester Originals captain, and they sign up Stanley maybe as a wild card or as a replacement player. And he's getting gets him right in the team, and his first over he was I think he reached ninety miles an hour in his first over. So he's not just one of these he's pretty quick guys, mm. and obviously you wouldn't expect him to sustain that over the course of a counter championship yeah. game if he plays. But like when you're bowling ninety miles an hour, you are instantly one of the fastest bowlers in England. Mm. And he, yeah. I think it was Sam Hain might be wrong, but I think it was Sam Hain. Pretty sure it was him that he clean bowled with a classic. Like a Dale Stainer, you know, one that swings mm. late from middle to clip the base of off stump. Uh, and when something like that happens, suddenly you sit up and, and take notice. He also sounds like an Aussie, mm. Mitchell Stanley. Mm. It sounds like he's born in, you know, on the Gold Coast. But hey, you put it really well last season that when he rocked up, you thought he was a BBL player who yeah. haven't really paid well, attention to. I was watching him at 100. <laughs> I was like, oh, this is another guy who's taken a few wickets in the big bash and has got a 100 deal at the last minute. <laughs> and the overseas, well, I had Will Sutherland this morning from Essex, but now yeah. I don't have him because he's not coming. Um, I don't really know, but Sean Massoud is an obvious 
you know, linchpin for, for Yorkshire. Mm. Uh, and if Neil Wagner can play a few games in his slipstream for Yorks, then he will also be very useful, mm. although there is an injury cloud over him. Ben? Uh, yes. So, my, I mean, feels like my first team uh, bolter, is that what we called it, or first team? Uh, first team newbie. First team newbie. Yeah, you're mixing two categories yeah, there. Yeah, sorry. My, my, my first team newbie. It feels like a bit of a cheat, but then he hasn't even played five first-class games, which is J- Jacob Bethel, who feels like we've talked about him for, for years and years and years uh, on the podcast and, and, and elsewhere. Um, obviously, had that amazing Un-19 World Cup knock, and they love him at Warwickshire. Maybe it's hard to see where he fits into that first team, but you know, at some point, he is going to have a breakthrough season or he's going to fade away, and either one of those is... It's kind of interesting, I guess. This is definitely the list that he put together five minutes before the start of the show, which he didn't even think he was on. <laughs> oh, that, that, that Jacob Bethel, the one who captained England in the under-19s <laughs> about five minutes ago. Uh, no, I put, I, put, I put a bit more time than that, maybe. Uh, <laughs> and then my, my test bolter, not newbie test bolter, is Tom Hartley, who isn't a bolter for this season, but I think by the end of, in, within 12 months, uh, England have got a tour of India at the start of next year. Um, and they may well want a sort of a, a, a proper offie, I guess, uh, having may do with, with Jacks, I guess, in the winter at times. Um, and he, so he, yeah, as as we said earlier, he was out bowling Matt Parkinson at Lancashire by the end of the season. He does bat as well. I think he got a, a century off a very small amount of balls in the preseason. Um, he's, 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 he's tall. I think there's there's quite a lot to like about him as a bowler. And the last one is the um, the test, sorry, the uh, the first team prospect. Is that right? Uh, the the breakthrough player breakthrough player sorry okay the breakthrough player uh, I had is it's not just just the names of the things uh, the breakthrough I had is Jamie Smith who again we've mentioned before um, but in that Surrey team I guess again you struggle to see is he going to start the season especially with Sibley in the side are they going to go Sibley Burns Patel at the top three or can Jamie Smith possibly break in there but when it comes to sort of uh, uh, the county championship and the England Test players are not in contention anymore especially when when Ben Folks is missing out, um, then he has a, a real chance there. And there's also, I think it's as much for the fact that he could break into the Surrey first team as that England don't really have, it's hard to see who the next keeper is after Ben Folks, which, which will be in, 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 a, in a long time. But still, if you're thinking like, looking at who's a guy who might be playing test cricket, quite a lot of test cricket in like five or six years time, Jamie Smith is a candidate for that, I guess. Mm. Um, yeah, on, on the Surrey top four, I think it will be Burn, Sibley, Pope at three yeah, sorry, and, yeah. and Smith at four. Um, my newbie is Kashif Ali. Uh, as I said, talked about him before, he only played one first class game. I think he'll get a spot in the Worcestershire top six. Uh, my test bolter, similar thinking with Ben and James Smith. I think Jordan Cox at Kent, he had a really good summer last year. Franchises are interested in him. And you never know if, if, if Butler stays away from test cricket, um, they'll need a spare keeper next winter. He, if he has another very good summer, I think he's already been in an England squad, an ODI, a T20 squad granted, but um, England are already clearly interested in him. Uh, breakthrough player, James Rue played a bit at the end of last season, still only 19. Um, and overseas, Dane Patterson at um, Knott's, he is uh, he's 33, been around for a while, but he's taken 137 wickets at 20 since the start of the 2021 summer. And we talked about knots earlier. If the batting lineup goes well, um, it'll be interesting to see how players like Patterson and Patterson-White step up from having dominated Division 2. So a good season for Patterson could go some way to determining how well knots end up doing. Um, Joe? 
Uh, my overseas is Haider Ali at Derbyshire. Really exciting signing. They've obviously lost Shamasu to, to Yorkshire and Mickey Arthur's dived back into his contacts book again and, and come up with, with Haider. He's 22-year-old Pakistani. England fans might remember his T20i debut where he smashed a 50 against England at Old Trafford three years ago now. He's only 19 at the time. Uh, he's playing all formats in theory for the whole season, so kind of old school uh, county signing. He's only played 11 first-class games in Pakistan, but scored a few hundreds. And yeah, it'll just be fascinating to see how he goes. I think there's no guarantee that he'll score Red Bull runs at all. Uh, it could actually go horribly wrong, but I think it'll be fun whichever way. And I think he'll score a lot of white ball runs for Derbyshire. Um, my breakthrough player, previously mentioned Ollie Robinson at, at Durham, who's been around for a little while, but struggled for opportunities at, at Kent because they've got Cox and Billings. He got fed up of waiting for a, a Red Bull spot. And he'll be he'll bat in the middle order, I think, for Durham. Scored a double century whilst on loan at Durham in the one-day cup last year. And I think there's he's talked about as a potential successor to Ben Folks in, in a few years' time. So, good one to watch. Test Bolter, Josh Tung at Worcestershire. Still only 25, unbelievably. Feels like he's been around for ages. Um, you know, it's all quick. Bit like Andy Caddick. Uh, suffered horribly with injuries. He's only played had this stat here 16 first class games since the start of 2019 so he's got some catching up to do only played three last year but alan richardson who's stepped up to be head coach says he's fit as he's ever seen and bowling fast described him as having like a new signing and he was part of the england lions squad that toured sri lanka took eight wickets in in one of the unofficial test matches and he's just a fast bowler who looks like he could be a test quick just needs to stay on the pitch long enough to, mm. to prove that and then finally, my first team newbie, uh, Tom Prest at Hampshire, who was the England under 19 World Cup captain, took them to the final last year, made some white ball runs for the Lions in Sri Lanka just last month and scored 180 from 138 balls in the Royal London last year against Kent. So already really proven himself as a white ball player. Didn't play any championship cricket at all for Hampshire last year, which I found a bit odd given their batting struggles. He's another player who'll come out and whack it whatever the format I expect. Um, and given that Hampshire haven't got the sort of proven top order batter in that I thought they might, then I think he's probably going to get a decent mm. go. So I'd, I'd definitely keep an eye on him too. Uh, one thing I forgot to mention when picking out my test bolter was England's next 10 tests after the Ireland game are five at home to Australia and I think five away to India. I think the last time England played five test matches against India and then five test matches against Australia, well, I know this is the other way around, uh, the team changed quite a lot between yeah. the first one of those and the end of those. Um, and I was going to pick an opener, but I just couldn't decide which one. Because but I there's, think, there's hope so, for Josh Bohannon yet. I think there's something in that. So we glossed over the who's in the mix, who's mm. in the slipstream of, of the England test side earlier on. Um, but I think it's a little bit more open than we think it is. Uh, mm. And if you take, say, what happened to Alex Lees last year, it's not like it's a completely closed shop. And it's amazing what an Ashes series does for exposing players. Uh, and especially if you're down in the series, then, you know, even in this kind of, you know, Zen-like yucca plant sort of new era, they're still going to panic a little, not panic, but they're still going to be moved to make decisions if they are mm. down in that series. And then for sure, you know, Hamid, Compton, yeah, all of these kinds of players, these Tom opening Haynes, bats. Ali Orr, Haynes, Ali Orr. Sussex, yeah. There's loads and loads of players who will be eyeing up 
those opening berths. And sure, Duckett is 60% and Crawley is 40%. Um, but, and injuries as well, broken fingers, early season broken fingers, all the rest of it. Uh, golfing injuries where you break multiple parts of your leg. I mean, all sorts of weirdness happens. Yeah. And I think that's the area. That's that's obviously the area, right? That middle order, barring injuries, is pretty sewn up. And the question is how you get Bairstow back into it if you do. Mm. But up the top, for sure. For sure, mm. that's open. And also, like, good players have crap home ashes series and crap series in India. So you can see someone who's still very, very talented. You know, I think we've made the point before that... Um, even if you think they are really talented, if you just have that many bad test matches, the numbers get really ugly really quite quickly and it can be a bit of a downward spiral. I think like I think Pope really suffered from that from once you're in one of those, it can be quite difficult to get out of. Yeah. And we also with, with Crawley's county record, which is which is not good, as as we all know, however much they want to stick with him, we could get to a point that we get to the first test of the Ashes or the Ireland test and he just hasn't scored any runs for Kent and you can't just keep picking him. I know they don't, necessarily put that much store in county cricket but there's a point where it's actually just you know clearly wrong and if mm. he hasn't got the early runs for Kent then it might be that the change has to be made even if they don't really want to do it mm. the, the, the one I'm really looking forward to seeing because I just love watching him play is Hamid now I think he's been slightly unfortunate with his the timing of his England returns and I think throwing him in at Brisbane was hiding to nothing really um but he did, he did okay against India's quicks in the home series on obviously English pitches. Now Australians, Australia's quicks will bother him and shake him up. But the way he played last year, albeit in Div Two, he he, he went at sixty five runs and runs per hundred. Right, that's a good lick, and he made twelve hundred runs and he made four hundreds, and they were beautiful. The bits that I mm. saw. Uh, it might be that this is his level, right? And that he, he he never sniffs an England cap again. And if if so, then so be it. But he's the one I'm really interested in watching this year, I think. So the one similar category for me, uh, I'm really interested in is Burns. I think if, if the panic button does get pressed, you've got a guy who four years ago averaged 40 against this Australia side in a home Ashes series. You know, there aren't that many guys in the country you can say that about. And I think if they are looking for someone who... I, I guess he is the person in the county game who I think you can most confidently say could make that step back up straight away, I think. I um, because, he, because he has done it, yeah, basically. Yeah, I can see the logic. I have mm. my, my doubts that him with his age, with his quixotic styles, fits into the way that they that they see it. But then I guess the same questions could be raised against a Hamid and so mm. on and so on. Hmm. anyway uh, it's all good fun though. it is all good fun and we've got uh, a good eight weeks to go for ashes build up um cheers phil cheers joe cheers ben that is the end of part one so katia on finally to some actual cricket that's actually been played this week let's start with the ipl uh all teams were in action over the weekend with game six going on as we speak there were big wins for rcb rajan rolls and look now super giants a slightly tighter win for punjab kings and one properly close win for the Gujarat Titans over CSK. We're not going to get into the details of every game. Kylie got some big runs. Carmeir's got some big runs. Uh, there were, you know, all the things you've come to expect from the IPL. But you were very impressed, as everyone was, with Mark Wood, who took 5-14 in that LSG win and bowled very, very quickly. Yeah, he bowled brilliant. Um, he bowled absolute wheels, as always. Um, in fact, I think the only bad ball he bowled was his hat-trick delivery. Um, so he got Pritvi Shaw and then Mitchell Marsh with some brilliant um, 
148 kph, I think it was, through the gate um, and then dragged it halfway down the pitch to uh, Safras Khan, who came in. I think he slipped though. So maybe there's some some mitigating factors in there. but yeah, he bowled really, really well. Um, and it was it's quite nice after he was injured out of last year's competition to come back, I think in his second game ever in the IPL. I think that's right. Um, so yeah, that's quite nice. But then I think he got panned today by MS Dhoni. So yeah. maybe some some cause for calm on the Mark Wood hype train. Yeah, I guess that's what cricket can do. Um, I really enjoyed watching Virat Kohli bat yesterday. And he's always nice to watch bat, but he had a great bat with Joffre Archer. Mm. Uh, there was a stat going around that it was the most runs scored by a single batter off Archer in a T20 game, which is obviously a good stat. But I thought it was almost cooler how many bowls Cody faced off him. It was like he's deliberately saying, I'm going to take this guy down. Like, I'm the best guy on my team. I'm going to take down the best guy on, on their team. Uh, and the knock from Tilak Varma in the first innings of that game actually was, in my opinion, I think the innings of the competition so far, he looks really, really good. Uh, one innovation in this tournament is the impact player rule where a team can sub in one player for another at pretty much any stage, was it's the end of an over, fall a wicket, end of the innings or something. Um, it's it, It's been used in pretty much every inning so far, I think. Teams yeah. have taken the opportunity. Uh, what what do you make of the rule? Do you think it's good? And do you think teams are using it well and stuff? Um, I think it's slightly overcomplicated. And I think that's not helped by people doing a bad job of explaining it, maybe. Mm-hmm. but um, As I probably just did. No. <laughs> uh, but I think... Um, I think you've got to give it time, right? We're what, on the fourth day of the tournament? Sixth yeah. match, maybe? Um, so no one's going to know how to use it like straight away. And if you, we've seen today that the second time in a row, um, Ambati Rodu has been subbed out by for Deshpande. And both times Deshpande's had a bit of a mare coming into bowl. Um, I think he went for over 50 in the last game in mm-hmm. less than four overs. And he's just bowled an 11, over, 11 ball over to Carl Mayers. So that's not been a great use of it. Um, but the most interesting one was was LSG, really, wasn't it? Because they brought in, um, I think it's Krishnapa Gautam yeah, in the fi- right. for the final ball of of the inning. So so they had um, Ravi Bishnoi, I think it was. He was going, no, it wasn't Ravi Bishnoi. It was, I um, can't remember. Uh, Ayesh Badoni got Ayesh out. Ayesh Badoni, yeah. that was it. Um, he was doing really well and he got out uh, with one ball left in the innings. And they had, they did have Ravi Bishnoi, Avesh Khan and Mark Wood to come in. And I think it's safe to say that none of them were going to do as much off the last ball. So they subbed in Gautam, who hit a six off the final ball um, and then bowled really well. I think he took naught for naught for 20 odd. Um, so that was a really good use of it. Um, and that's what the impact player is meant to do. It's meant to be that extra tactical layer to the tournament. Um and it's meant to, you know, if teams are light with the bat, they can bring in an all-rounder or they can bring in another specialist batter. Um, and if they're light with the ball, they can bring in another bowler. Um, but I think there's been a pattern emerging um, where the side batting first have brought in a bowler mm-hmm. um, and the side bowling first have done the reverse. They brought in a batter. Um, so maybe maybe that's the initial thoughts on how to use the rule, but I'm sure we'll see more exploration of how to use that as, as the tournament goes on. Um, I'm not sure just constantly subbing out Ambati Rayudu is going to be the best use of the tactical element of the rule. But yeah, no, I think, I think it's been good. And it has given that extra level of something new to a tournament that's been going on for so long now. And I think it's a good-ish innovation, but again, it is too soon to tell. Yeah, I guess it is objectively funny when like, this happens with Desh Pandey or Navdeep Saini gets subbed in and goes for 34 and two overs. Yeah. That is quite funny. But I'm actually not a huge fan of the rule overall, I think. I think I'm in favour of injury subs in general. 
Uh, and that was actually how one of them was used, I think, when Kane Williamson, who's, who's out of the tournament, uh, injured his knee in the opening game. Um, but I feel like this does, this does have some tactical dimensions, but I think it also actually takes quite a lot away in terms of how you build a team, I think, which is something that I actually find quite interesting. The sort of like some people call it like the short blanket theory, where uh, you can either have definitely have enough bowling, but then you leave yourself life on batting, or have enough batting and then you're kind of fiddling around for that fifth bowler. This kind of takes away that whole aspect of team building, which I think is a bit of a shame. Uh, Abhishek Mukherjee, who's the head of concept of India, wrote quite an interesting article looking at what the effect might be for how it develops players. And this makes all-rounders quite a lot less important, I guess, because you can effectively just have a, a, an all-rounder who is two players uh, with the impact player rule. But it might also mean that uh, you have less batters sort of adopting an anchor role because if there is a collapse, then you can just bring in an extra batter and that lengthens your batting order that way. Um, yeah. But as you say, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I think I, c- I can see that. I'm not a massive fan of the anchor role for a batter in T20 cricket anyway. I mm. think it actively takes away from the spectacle from my point of view. Um, and I quite like, I think the tactical element of deciding who your impact player should be and when they should come in makes up for the tactical element of trying to find a bowler to bowl another two overs or something at the end of the innings or trying to juggle your bowlers and getting it wrong, that kind of thing. Um, but again, it is so soon um, and we don't know how it's going to be used. And I think there's definite tweaks to the rule that could be made, um, especially in terms of the naming of the five players. I think five is possibly a little bit too many. I think you mm-hmm. could narrow that down by at least by one or two maybe. And that would maybe make it slightly better. But I see where you're coming from on it, but I disagree. Yeah, okay. Uh, well, well, there'll be more on the IPL as it carries on and as we get properly into the tournament. Um, on to ODI cricket, which actually had a very important week this week, even though it's sort of maybe a bit in the margins of everything else that was going on. Uh, so Sri Lanka were beaten 2-0 by New Zealand and South Africa beat the Netherlands 2-0. Uh, Aidan Mark made his maiden ODI century in the last game of that Netherlands series, which he extended to 175, which is uh, nice for him. But that, those results mean that Sri Lanka and West Indies will be in the Cricket World Cup qualifiers. So I guess they'll probably be the two favourites to go through from that. But, you know, there's no guarantees. And we saw at the last event how close both Afghanistan and West Indies were to missing out. Um, so in that qualifier as well will be Zimbabwe and Netherlands, along with Scotland, Oman, Nepal, and probably two of USA, UAE and Canada. Although there's a World Cup qualifier playoff, which is yet to finish, from which two teams will will progress um and ireland it's so the, the last spot to progress automatically is between ireland and south africa now uh ireland will like that will, they will be in the qualifier unless they can beat bangladesh three uh, nil they might also need a bit of a net run rate swing but it's not completely clear whether south africa will take a net run rate hit for forfeiting the australia odis that makes sense like if you forfeit a game in football you take a three nil uh a three nil loss uh so to speak um and i don't know if that will be the case for this one. Um, Katia, you've watched a fair bit of Ireland recently on their tour of Bangladesh, uh, where they've just played and lost ODI and T20I series. Uh, the series in the World Cup Super League is being played in Chelmsford to try and guarantee three full games. Do you think is a 3-0 win? Is, is that too much to ask, do you think? Or is, is it possible that they could get that? I think it's possible. Most things are possible. But um, I don't know. It's difficult because Ireland will be better than they were in Bangladesh in English conditions as they will be in Chelmsford. Um, but And Bangladesh will be worse as well, I guess. 
Yeah, I guess so. Although the interesting bit about the ODI series in particular was that it was Bangladesh's pace bowlers mm. that were the difference. True. Like they were really, really good. Was Taskin Ahmed, you got a fifer or it was... No, I think it was actually Shakib, so I've got that wrong. But um, no, Bangladesh have been really, really good and they looked the complete uh, white ball unit when they were playing Ireland. They scored... In the first ODI, they scored 338, which was a record score for them. And then they beat it three days later, again against Ireland, in a match that they would have won if it hadn't uh, been washed out in Ireland's innings. And then they beat them by 10 wickets, having bowled them out for about 100 um, in the in the final match with, with like 35 overs left to spare or something. So it was an, a proper... And that was another record, wasn't it? So, yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a proper drubbing. Um, and then the T20 series started the same way before Ireland managed to pull one back at the end. But I can't see the difference in conditions being so much to make up for that. And it's not to say that like Ireland can't can't beat Bangladesh. They can, and they definitely haven't been at their best in, in Bangladesh. They haven't given a showing of themselves that is representative of what they should be capable of as a side. They also haven't had Josh Little um, and they haven't had a couple of other players as well, I think. Um, but I, I don't think we should be underestimating just how good Bangladesh are. They are a mm. really, really good white ball side. We've just seen it with with the England series as well, that they're more than capable of beating um, beating established, you know, England of the World Cup champions, you know. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. From my understanding of it, Bangladesh, so Ireland have to win those three ODIs and then they'll be level on points with South Africa in eighth place. Yes. So they're going to have to beat them and then beat them by some in order to overtake the net run rate, uh, like taking into, not taking into account what happens with South Africa's net run rate. Yeah. So first of all, I can't see them beating them 3-0. They might beat them 2-1. They might lose a series 2-1. I don't know, but I can't see them beating them 3-0. And secondly, I can't see them beating them by enough in Chelmsford consistently to overhaul that net run rate deficit. Could happen, you know, what do I know? I'll probably get it wrong. But, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it will be tough for them considering what's happened in Bangladesh. Uh, and I guess they've got um, just a big few months coming up with, uh, with what, four tests in the next, up until, what, the end of uh, the end of June, is it, when the when that England test is? And that will... Um, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, I think it is end of June. But yeah. they haven't played a test in nearly four years. Like, the last time they played it was at Lords against England in that test match, that mad test match that happened in 2019. Yeah, um, so, so it's more tests in the next, what, three or four months than they've played in their entire history up to this point. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, so it's going to be going to be a big 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 month for Irish cricket they've got three tests in in three and a half weeks at the minute um the first against Bangladesh tomorrow where I think they could field like seven debutants mm -hmm. um including PJ Moore who is not a test debutant because he switched from Zimbabwe um and Matt Humphreys who is yet to play a first class game so I couldn't in in the research that I did I couldn't find an example of someone doing that before making their first class debut in a test match that doesn't mean it, did, it hasn't happened but you're going back is what I'm trying to say so um, yeah, it's going to be a big match tomorrow. First time Andy Barberni is going to lead them out in a test match as well. Mm. So that's that's a big one. Um, but yeah, no, big month for Irish cricket. Mm. Well, uh, that, that that is it for this show. Thanks very much for listening. We'll be back to a more normal format next week. But still, if you did enjoy, please make sure to subscribe and maybe even leave us a nice five-star review on the app.
Social Podcast Network.